Father, I'm so grateful for the opportunity we have Sunday after Sunday to join together and give you praise. Gather and sing, give you glory to be reminded of your power, your wonder, your majesty, your love for us. The story written by your blood and written down through time. So we give you our praise and we worship you in that. We worship you now in our giving. You give us everything. Not a breath that we just took in that you haven't given us. Our giving is a reminder of that. And so receive it as our way of expressing to you how grateful we are for all you've given us. You've given us your word. And we worship you now by listening to your word. By gaining from it, drawing from it, lessons that will guide and direct our life as we follow after you. So help us to worship you with our listening, with minds that are open to what you want to teach us, minds that are not preconceived with what we think you want to say, but what you want to say today. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastors will come and take the offering. A lot of things going on. Make sure you read your bulletin so you won't miss out on anything. If you have kids in Upstreet, which I believe is kindergarten to fifth grade, it's an opportunity to sign up today, and today's the last day for that, for the family night at the Taylor Farm, one of the most enjoyable things of the fall. Weather's supposed to be really good, so enjoy that, but make sure you sign up. Today's the last day so that we can provide rightly for that. First insert you'll notice in there is a prayers and praise night tonight. Pastor Keith is going to lead that with Dave. And to share with us, pray with us, pray over a number of things. So we'd love to have you back at 6.30 for that. Every year, our district of Western PA of the CNMA, which is divided right down the middle of the state, Huntington on this side, State College on the other, all the pastors and wives and lay people from all those churches come and gather together for a conference. That is this week here at CAC. We've been hosting it the last few years, so pray that everything goes well. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, you're invited to the evening services. You can come during the day if you want, but you're invited to the evening services to participate. Pray for Dave, our director, our leader in our denomination here in Western PA, Dave Noggle. And there's a lot of people coming from the national office, and so it's a great opportunity for us to interact. So uh, be praying. We trust that it goes well, and you understand why we're so busy and tied up this week. This morning, we returned to our series. We started last Sunday morning on the Ten Commandments, and we said to you that these guidelines are reminders. My hope was that every day you drove by somewhere and saw one of these guidelines or guardrails, you had the opportunity to be reminded of how God has protected us, how God has given us direction, has given us guidance. He's given us this so we don't fall over the edge, so that we stay straight and solid in our path of following Him. You and I both know that if we take an overall look at society, it seems like we're living in a world that's trying to remove all absolutes, all barriers, so that everyone does whatever they feel like doing. It seems like we're moving toward this. No guide rail at all. Do my own thing. I'm not going to worry about it. No guidelines. I'm just going to follow my own path. It doesn't really matter. The pitfalls that are around, I know what's best for me, and so that's the direction I'm going to go. God has given us guidelines and direction for a reason, for a purpose, to protect us. Never to hurt us in any way at all, but to protect us. There's a lot of things in life like that. Seat belts. I'm not known always, I know it's hard to admit this now in front of a lot of people, for always remembering to put my seat belt on. Last Sunday morning we were on our way to church and there's this thing called Marco Polo. I thought it was a thing you played in pools. Marco Polo, never mind. 
and, and so it's an app. And so my wife said something. I've got a lot of buttons in my truck. I don't know what to do. And my eight-year-old knows how to run them all. So uh, she said, hey, when you, I see you in a few weeks, Pap's going to ask you how to run these things. On the way home from church, I get a response from him in that Marco Polo that's this. Pap, first of all, um, you need to wear a seatbelt. You push the button on the seatbelt when you arrive at your destination, not on the road. Oh, good, last in. It's against the law, huh? Okay, I've been called out by an eight-year-old. And not only does he call me out saying, Pap, you got to make sure you put your seatbelt in, and then he describes how it goes. Like, I don't know what that little red button is and where the seatbelt goes in it. And then he says, Pap, make sure you put your seatbelt on, not after you leave, not while you're on the road, or when you get your destination, but while you're in the driveway. And I'm sitting there laughing the whole way home, trying to remember whether my seatbelt was on or not, knowing i just been called out by an eight-year-old. And it wasn't so that I can be hurt. It wasn't so that I could feel restricted or bound in any way. It was what? So that I could be protected. Which is why these guidelines and directions are given to us. So that we don't run over the edge. So that we can stay on the right path. We live in a world that sometimes we have so many people wanting to decide for themselves. What's right? What's wrong? What's moral? What's immoral? And that thinking could invade every level of our society, which ends up allowing us to be drifting along, moving with every wind of the culture that goes by, and knowing that the winds of the culture are going to change constantly. Listen to this. If some in our society want to euthanize the aged and abort the deformed and inconvenient, what do you think that would lead to regarding those in between? You realize that? If some in our society want to euthanize the aged and abort the deformed or inconvenient, what do you think that could lead to regarding those in between? I feel like every once in a while that we're living in the Old Testament days, and you have to go back and read the book of Judges, but there came to a point in time when God had given them directions and guidance and barriers and boundaries and all those kind of things, where it eventually came to the point where God said, it feels like everyone's just doing whatever's right in their own eyes. What's right for you isn't right for me. What's right for me isn't right for you. And it's okay that it's right for me and not for you. And it's okay that you have your things and I don't. I don't have to agree with you. You don't have to agree with me. And we run around going so many different directions that we've got everybody deciding for themselves what to do. We've got judges who overrule the desire of the people. A school system sometimes that tells us what and when we need to teach certain issues to our children. The media telling us what to believe. We try to be so politically correct that it becomes insane. Someone said one time, instead of always worrying about who we might offend, maybe we should think about who we can inspire. Thank you. Franklin Graham said, do you see the crazy nature of all of this? Inclusiveness now means excluding anyone who speaks out firmly to the truth or anyone who doesn't agree with us because somebody certainly knows what's right and you may not. 5,000 years ago, God gave us very clear absolutes clear absolutes that still apply today and still carry the same weight today. They're called the Ten Commandments. They're found in Exodus chapter 20. I'm going to begin at verse 2. And I lay the foundation this Sunday and next because if we fully understand these two, the beginning of this, it really sets the stage for the rest. God is saying to the Israelites who are so desperate for direction even though they don't know it, who've been going in so many different ways, done their own thing, paid an enormous price for that, God says, look, I love you. 
I want to give you some boundaries. I want to give you some direction. Not to hurt you in any way, but to protect you. You need to understand that I, he says, am the Lord your God. It reminds us of what the entire New Testament does. I'm the one that brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Shouldn't make for yourself any image in the form of anything in heaven or on the earth or beneath the waters below. You shouldn't bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. No other gods before me. Don't worship me to be devoted to anything else that gets higher priority than me. Jesus said the same thing when he said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. He wrapped up those first two by saying, love God with everything you've got, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. God's intention in his design is that we relate to him at a very deep level. Never to keep him at a distance or see him as out there somewhere or even as a master that I obey or a friend that I know. God's desire is that we connect him at the very core of our being. Now, a lot of people, especially men, and I'm one of them, so I get that, can't even do that on a human level, much less sometimes a spiritual level. We don't let a lot of people know about the hidden stuff deep down inside, so we keep real busy or we just don't share it. Many times shutting out those who love us and really want us to go to that deep level, much less the deep level that God wants us to go to. Now, I've said it on a number of occasions, and I know that, but guys usually don't go hunting, fishing, or golfing so they can share their feelings. <laughs> Did any of you golf? Eric, right? Ben. What is it? Ben. Come here. Do you golf? Yeah, I got that. You got me on the other two. Okay, it doesn't really matter. Here. All right. <laughs> All right. You're, we're, 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 we're golf buddies, right? Yeah. And we're out getting ready to golf, and you're ready to tee up. Go ahead. Get ready to tee up. And what if right before you teed up, I just walked over to you and said, do you ever feel like you just need a good cry? I don't even like you standing up there. That's what I thought. <laughs> I, I just feel like every once in a while, I just, I just need somebody to hold me. Well, the big guys are the type. I, of yeah. <laughs> Can I ask you really what you would do if I did all of that? With a golf club. Never mind. <laughs> Thank you. We don't do that well. Now, I'm not saying every girl does that as well. Nor every girl says, I need a good cry. I'm not saying that at all. But we sometimes just don't share the stuff that goes down, down deep inside. And we stuff it so far and so well. And we've mastered it so much that we usually don't do that with a lot of people, let alone God. Since the beginning of time, God is pursuing a relationship with us. Paying the ultimate price for our redemption. And what he wants in return, as we sang about this morning, is our hearts. A lot of people give obedience, which is awesome. Some give sacrifice. Others say God wants us to be good or know the scripture, all of which are great things. But what God really wants is our hearts, our love. Jesus stated it this way. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Did you ever wonder why he said all four? I mean, he could have easily said, love God with everything you've got. Most of us would have understood that. But he wanted to make sure that we clearly understood what it meant to love God to that depth. So he continued to take the layers and put them on top of one another so that we could fully embrace it and fully understand it. Love God with all your heart. What's in your heart? Your emotions. So when it comes to loving God 
and him loving us and our response to that love, he said, I want you to love me with your emotions. It's okay, guys, to cry. Now, I know I master it. I know I do it too often. I get that. But it's okay to show your emotions, especially to God. Love God with all your soul. What's your soul? Your will. That deep down who you are inside that says, I've got to come to the point where I surrender that. I'm tired of running my own life. I want to hold on to it as tightly as I can. i got to come to the point in my relationship with God and my love relationship with God that I let go of that. That I don't have to be in charge. That I trust you very deep down in my soul. Trust you. Love God with all your mind. Our thoughts. Paul says take every thought captive, which is extremely difficult to do. I know that. But he said, love God with your mind. Open up your mind to what God wants to teach you. So often we come to a Sunday morning sermon, whatever it may be, especially if it's a subject we think we know a lot about, saying, oh, I already know what that's going to be. I know what God says. I don't agree with that. Open up our minds to what maybe he wants to teach us a little bit different than what we think we already know. Paul said, I want you to give everything you have to God. Start with the renewing of your what? Of your mind. How you think, how you look at life. Open up your minds on a Sunday morning to what God wants to teach you. We normally associate worship with our singing. And there's a lot to that. But worship is all that we've done this morning. Kind of like how I prayed this morning. We worship God by our giving. We worship God by our expository word. We worship God by our thinking of his word and embracing his word and obedience to his word. Everything we do on a Sunday morning, everything we do in life is an opportunity to worship God by the life that we live, the way we respond. All of those things are, is a part of our worship experience. Love God with all your mind, your thoughts. Love God with all your strength, all your energy. Now, part of it, when you sing on Sunday morning, you and I have the opportunity to express that energy. I don't do well with clapping. I can't do them both at the same time. My rhythm is totally off. So I do it this way. I've said, man, if you're sitting beside me, God bless you, because I'm going to hit you at some point or the other. Because I just want to do this every once in a while. My mother, who is so staid and proper, went to a, 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 a church that was a lot more expressive than the church she grew up in. She said, I was standing there and singing, and all of a sudden I realized my hands just went up. And she said, I liked it. <laughs> That's awesome. Just be able to respond in any way. I move a lot. I sing a lot because I don't do this well. All right? I, I don't always clap at the end. I just want to say, man, that was great. God, I love you. It's great to be here. And I just want to express that. You, you've got to be into it every once in a while. You, you've got to be willing to put your body and your, your strength, all your energy into serving him. So that it's not, oh, I've got to teach sixth grade. Or I've got to, oh, man i got to go to the nursery this weekend. Now it's, I get to go to the nursery. I get to serve him. I get to teach that grade. I get to walk with that kid. I get to encourage them. I get to love them. I get to serve communion, whatever that may be. I, I'm doing it with everything I've got. And I really wonder if sometimes he defined it so deeply <laughs> that way so that we just wouldn't say, okay, God, I love you. Man, this is every part of me. My mind, my soul, my thoughts, my will, my emotions, my energy, my strength. Jesus said, i got to be honest with you, there's a lot of people who honor me with their lips, but their hearts aren't in it. They're religious, they know scripture, they sing songs, but they're 
seemingly far away. They're going through the motions, but not really in love with me, God says, even though I love them so deeply. And what happens is because we don't always know how to have that relationship with him, we either don't want to or we put other things in the place that he was only meant to be. Other loves in a place reserved only for God. And what happens is he either gets our leftovers or we try to fit him in when or where it's okay or it fits my schedule. Now, we may not call them loves, but there are things that definitely keep us from having a deep, intimate love relationship with God. He calls them idols. Now, at this point, it would be natural for you to say, okay, well, give me the list. I've got to make sure there's none of those things on it. So we could do that. Hobbies, golf, guns, hunting, working, traveling, camping, whatever that may be. Technology. Do you know there's probably more people who spend more time on Facebook than in the book? There are some people who know more about Harry Potter than the Master Potter. And the list could go on. Now, if I give you a list of idols and I miss yours, you would say, see, I don't have any idols. It's not on the list. And if I thinking that, we miss the point altogether. You see, it's not whether or not it's on the list. The question is, does, does God have first place in our lives or not? Because that's where he wants to be. He wants to be our first love. We all have other loves. We all do. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my grandkids. I love my home. I love my family. I love my neighborhood. Us country boys, we love our dog, our truck, and hunting. I don't have a dog, but when I did, I loved him. But God says, no other loves, no other gods before me. He wants to be number one. Not because he's arrogant, not because he's egotistical. God just says, I'm telling you, I know what's best for you. And if you put me number one, I'm telling you, the things under your life will blow you away. And it will guide your tongue. It will guide your responses. It will guide how you look at people, how you look at life, how you look at other men or other women. It will guide you how you look at stuff. Every one of us is going to have to do the work to find out what is it that maybe gets in the way. For some, it could be some good things. Sometimes it's religious work and activity. Some ministers, believe it or not, replace their love relationship with God with their ministry. Began ministry a long time ago, and I remember going to a seminar, and I heard Gord McDonald stand up and say this. Somewhere along the way, we bought the lie that if I take care of God's family, he'll take care of mine. And it was a lie from the pit of hell. And so those who did it lost their family. God first, my wife second, family third, and my ministry underneath that. And when I get those out of order, when any minister gets those out of order, they are out of order. But I've seen it all in my ministry life where they put so much time and energy into their ministry, which is a wonderful thing, but to the detriment of their children. And they lose them all. I know some people will go to two or three Bible studies, but no real deep connection with the living God. And we're made for that kind of connection. When you and I received Jesus as our Savior, not only did we commit ourselves to him, he committed himself to us. Ephesians says God gave us an engagement ring. You got one? All right. Ephesians says when you, let me ask you a question. When, when he gave you this, did you assume it was an exclusive relationship? Or he said, no, I've narrowed it down to this one, I think. But there's a couple other girls that I just want to be sure before we get married. <laughs> this is it, right? That's what he wanted. God gives us the same thing. In, her, in our case, he calls it 
the Holy Spirit. In Greek, it's Erebon. God's guarantee to us that we are his. And what he doesn't want is to that be related or connected to or violated by another love. In biblical times, the engagement process was an extremely serious process. I'm going to do the Christmas story in a few months. Remember when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant? What does the word of God tell us? He decided to what? Divorce her privately. Does you ever wonder how do you divorce someone you're not married to? Because to them, it was the ultimate commitment. No more, only her, only him. No other loves would take that place. That's how God sees his commitment to us. And what he wants from us is our commitment to be just as deep. Even when we stray, he's still committed to us. If you go back in the Old Testament, man, you read a history of the people of God who are constantly chasing after other loves. Philip Yancey said one time, reading the prophets is like listening to a lover's quarrel through an apartment wall. Jeremiah, I long, God says, to be gracious to you. You're precious in my sight, but you're continually running after other loves. I delight in you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. If you come back, I'll receive you and heal you and love you better than any other love. The book of Hosea, which is a fascinating book, one of the very difficult ones to understand. But what you see, if you really fully understand it, is not only frustration and jealousy. What you see is the pain of a broken heart. And if you fully understand it, you see the pain of God's broken heart when we stray. And because we're chasing after other loves or putting other things into place, it not only hurts God, it really breaks his heart when we do that. You see, idolatry is the wounding of God's heart. It's a betrayal of that love. God wanted us to be free moral agents. And he releases us to be free to choose to love him. Did not want to make, it, make us puppets that had to love, but those who chose to love. And what he wants is for us to put him first. And you got to believe that a lot of things in life are going to try to take God's place and pull you away from that. God's primary rival for our affection is Satan, who will try to pull you away from God with doubts about who God is and what God does. He will come into your life saying things like, if God really loves you, which goes all the way back to the beginning of time in the book of Genesis, God really loved you. Do you really think he would allow that to happen? If God really loved you, he wouldn't let you go through that. And all of a sudden we begin to doubt and wonder, does he really love me? It rains on the just and the unjust. And I've seen some people in life who seems like it rained on them all the time. And others seem to go through life pretty well unscathed. Did a funeral service on Friday for one of the most amazing men I've ever met in my life, Skip Graham, who had more than most people will ever experience in a lifetime. What stood out was his faith, absolutely. What stood out was his incredible response and never once complained or doubted or wondered why me. Satan doesn't even care for religious. He, he just tries to keep us from having a love relationship with God, making us busy with activities and church ministries and church activities and services, but no real deep connection with a God who loves us more than anything else. And if we're not careful, we'll fill our lives with so many things Get all confused in who God is. Some people are so thirsty that they'll drink from any well or source that they can get their hands on. 
fascinating story in the book of John, the fourth chapter, I think it is, where Jesus is sitting down kind of away from the crowd. If you know the story, it's a woman at the well. And this lady comes up to draw water when no one else is around. There's so many reasons for that. She has such a life that she kind of wanted to make sure that nobody saw her. Nobody came to church and said, how you doing? Because she didn't want to tell them. So she went at a time that hardly no one else was there. And here is this guy. And he's a Jew. And she's a Samaritan. They don't connect with one another. And he asked her a drink of water. And she said, number one, why are you even talking to me? And, and I don't always know if it was because she was a Samaritan. I think it was because, why are you talking to me? I got so much stuff. And so he asked, and she said, you don't even have anything to draw from. And then he says, if you really knew who was asking you, you'd want more, and you'd want it all. And then he begins to talk to her about her life and the fact that she was looking for love in all the wrong places and all that that entailed, and, and she just kind of opened up her life to him. And then she realized at that point that none of those other things were going to satisfy. It was really only Jesus. Fascinatingly enough, she became one of the first missionaries of the, of the New Testament. We, we call Paul one of the first missionaries of the New Testament. I think she was. When I tell everybody, you'll never believe what I have found. I found everything I'm looking for in him. Solomon, who really did have it all, found it all, said it was like chasing after the wind because only God satisfies. We've all done it. We're all prone to look to other things to satisfy. There's an old hymn that we've all probably at least some point or the other heard, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, sung by believers, written by believers. Even I, Lord, prone to look for other things to satisfy. But it's not what God wants. He calls us from all of our idols and says, would you put me in first place? I really do know what's best for you. Now, I'm not going to tell you what your idols are. My guess is he probably already has. But it's got to stop or you'll never really have the relationship you were created for. Dads, I can say this much easier because I'm one of you. But it really does begin with us. Because our kids by nature will follow our lead. Not all the time. It never means to demean the opportunity that the mom has in this process. But by nature, kids will follow our lead. If you read the fifth verse of this piece when he says... You know, you've, you've got to do this. Otherwise, the next and the next and the next and the next generation are going to follow that lead by you putting all the other things in my place. But if you do this right, it has an impact on all the generations that follow. There's a book I read years ago called Distorted Images of God that really goes through all of life and all the things that have happened to us in life that if we're not careful gives us a tainted view of God. There are a lot of things in our life that come before God, and every so often we've got to stop long enough to begin to assess who we are and where we're at and maybe what needs to be shifted in a line of priorities. We're going to share communion this morning. When I realized the context of the message, I thought, what a perfect day to be able to do that. Normally when we share communion, I rehearse to you what probably every pastor does, that piece in Corinthians where Paul says what went on in the upper room. I received of the Lord that which I now pass on to you, that the Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took bread, passed it around, said this is where you get life. It's not in those other things that you think will give you life. It's in me and me alone. And then he took the cup and he said this is where you'll find forgiveness. It's in my blood. No longer bulls, no longer doves, 
No longer cattle or goats being slain. I will give my life for you. Because of the shedding of my blood, you will find forgiveness if you receive me. And many of us stop there. I do as well. But if you continue to read on in that passage of Scripture, he said, before you do this, before you take the bread, before you drink the cup, you ought to look inside. You ought to examine yourself, Paul says, to make sure there's nothing blocking the way between you and your relationship with God. What a perfect time in some time of reflection to say, God, is there anything that I've put above you? There is no equals. There's no matches. There's no something close to God. Is there anything in my life that I put above you? During this time of reflection and self-examination, which he says we sh should do before we eat, before we drink, realign the priorities and be honest with God because I guarantee you he will be honest with you. Father, speak to us in these moments. Help us as people who are hearing this truth and trying to process it to in just a few select moments to listen allow you to listen to us as we do. Communion servers are going to come all over the campus, and if you are here for the first time, you folks come. You'll notice that the bread is in the middle, the cup is on the outside. Take them both at the same time. During the entire process, would you just simply spend time in reflection? Hold the bread, hold the cup. I'll come back up and lead you into partaking of it, and then we'll sing a song of love, adoration, and celebration at the end.